it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Drive Through HR, the Internet's longest-running HR radio talk show. We talk about, well, we talk about a lot of things. The show is built on one simple question, what's keeping you up at night? And we talk about that with a number of guests. Today, we're talking with Jason Seiden of Brandstorm. You know, he knows a thing or two about grief, but he's also so much more of that. Jason, I think I met you in 2010 or 11. You had just come out with a new book um, and, and a new term, which, uh, professionalism. So I uh, am very excited to have you on today because it's been a pretty long journey from there to here. How are you doing? I'm great. It's great to be here. Thank you so much, Crystal. And yeah, it's been over a decade. How about that? You know, it's that's fascinating and wonderful and terrifying because I'm getting older and you're getting older. And <laughs> right. <I'm> getting older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I have been doing my best. You'll be you'll be happy to know that in the in the intervening decade since we first met, I have done my best to live a professional life. Sometimes a little bit uh, more successfully than others, but uh, definitely still at it. You know, I think that term. The first time I heard, it, I was like, "That's so weird." I like it a lot, but it's kind of it's so different. And oh, it makes a lot of sense. And then I didn't hear it for a couple of years. And I was watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine with my husband, who, you know, Dwayne, um, and I, I was kind of nodding off. And all of a sudden, I heard Andy Samberg say, professional, trademarked it. And I was like, no, you did not. I woke up. <laughs> 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 uh, once upon a time, once upon a time, I, I did hold the trademark for that. And then uh, uh, the things happened. So, that, you know, <laughs> yeah. But it was just funny to hear yeah, it on MTV. I didn't expect to hear it. <laughs> right, and you know what? I have to check the dates. Maybe he said it when I still own the, you know, when I still own the uh, trademark. I can go get there the money go. from. Uh, from no, uh, Andy, I'm not coming for you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm sure he'd be like, "Yeah, me and the lonely boys, man, we're banking." <laughs> right, he's like, I wasn't worried about it, and you are. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so it's good to have you on. Um, for anybody who doesn't know you, I feel like no one can introduce people as well as they can introduce themselves. So why don't you tell the world who you are, and we'll go from there. Uh, yeah, you know what? Um, you know, I'm, I'm, the older I get, the, the more I'm like not much of anybody, right? We're, we're just all doing the best we can. Um, for, the, for the HR crowd, I've, I've been around for a while. Um, you know, you alluded to it. Uh, you know, I, I – 
had this like weird and wonderful background. I was the, my first real job in quotes was the executive being the executive producer of rollingstone.com. And, um, you know, that led me to discover all the wonderful ways in which companies are absolutely horrible at self-organizing, which threw me into a, uh, a, a career in management consulting. And that became, wow, you know what? It doesn't really matter how good your analyses are. If your people can't do the job, you can't get it done. And so, that drifted into talent development. And uh, 11, 12 years ago, there were a group of folks who, uh, who were all in HR and talent development who rallied around Twitter and Facebook and said, this is a thing. This is fundamentally changing communications. Um, it's changing the way talent organizes and thinks about itself and grows and develops and moves. We need to know about this. And, you know, you, you and I were in that, that group that kind of came together around that. Um, and it was really just a remarkable moment in time. And, you know, my career has continued to be sort of explosive and wonderful and horrifying and all the things. Um, <laughs> I, I, right, that became, so the consulting became training. That be, I, you know, we, we worked together. Uh, yeah. I was blessed to get a phone call from LinkedIn and said, hey, we need certified partners in North America. Why don't you be the first? Because uh, you seem to have a little bit of a handle on this communications side of things. And that became a piece of technology, and that got bought by the Muse, um, uh, Catherine Minshew, and her crew out in New York, just a wonderful group. And, uh, you know, and, and since then, it's been back to consulting with some extended uh, gigs inside of uh, Ultimate Software and Movala and, and Lever, and just some, you know, some of the platforms that uh, listeners may be aware of. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy to think how much you done or we've all done right but how much you've done and grown and moved over the last um 11 years and i think it's a a a real testament to the way work in and of itself is changing and moving and shifting right like we've talked about it forever how the the company man and as it were like that whole you go to one company and that's where you work for your whole career isn't a thing anymore yeah right now it's gone well i I think in some ways in some ways, I think my career actually stands as a model for where the world is heading because I, I never really subscribed to a position. I always subscribed to a skill. Uh, I was always interested in how people leverage technology to find or fine-tune or amplify their voice. And, uh, you know, and I've used that in marketing roles, in consumer marketing roles, my first job. I've, I've used it in talent development roles. I've used it in internal communications roles. I've used it to drive user adoption and work with sales and customer support. And now I'm kind of back on the marketing side. But it's it's always been this journey around um, it's sort of one-to-one and one-to-many communications and, and the interplay between an individual's voice and the, the organization they represent. And, you know, when you, when you kind of, when you define your, your career around something like that, a particular skill you have or an interest you have, you find that there's a ton of different jobs that require that, that skill and that ability. And you find, um, you know, not only do you hone that skill, but you learn all the context in which it's used, right? If you were to ask me about um, uh, driving user adoption, I would tell you, well, that looks very different in a marketing role, in a market-facing role as it does internally but I could tell you exactly where the commonalities are, and I could tell you where it's going to break down. You know, and, and uh, I probably have a better understanding now of why internal uh, employee engagement is as uh, different as uh, as 
marketing is. Like it, it used to fascinate me that companies would spend millions of dollars trying to convert total strangers into fans and ignore the 100,000, 10,000 employees that they already employed who have, you know, who have like an incentive to be rating fans. Like it's so much cheaper to convert them. But, you know, the, the whys of all of that um, really didn't become clear to me until I started looking at how to kind of point the skill that I have in, in different places and, and kind of get to know those nuances and understand the whys. Yeah, and I think the the whole concept of like understanding the the whys and the nuances of really anything, any aspect of of what you what you do, what you're interested, what you study in, whether it's the job you hold, the job you want, like there's there's so much depth that's available into the things that we do that we really often don't look at until there's a reason to. And, and that's a very awkward segue into, I guess, what is the overarching topic of, of our, our talks this week. So, yeah. for, you know, for us, you know, we got on the phone and, and I was like, what do you want to talk about, man? Jason, I'd love to have you on. And, and you talked about wanting to explore grief. And, and I think after the year that we had, um, there's not a person on the planet who either directly or indirectly hasn't experienced grief. We're all kind of walking wounded a little. So this seems like a yep. good, a good topic to, to, uh, to broach. So, yeah, well, and it's, I'll, I'll say, I actually think the segue is actually pretty good uh, because this is one of those things that people really don't want to explore. And just like a skill you take from, from job to job, you know, you mentioned professional early on, I mean, that blending of personal and professional, what is more personal and, and what from our personal lives impacts our professional abilities more than grief, you know, and the depression and anxiety and struggle that, and the isolation that comes along with it. Uh, so kind of dipping a toe here and exploring it and understanding, it, I'm, I'm happy to share, you know, parts of my journey because I've had to, I've had to figure out how to carry that thing with me. Uh, and to the extent that there's something here that helps somebody else after this last year, I, that would be wonderful <laughs> that, that somebody doesn't have to, uh, you know, go through uh, quite the same uh, pain and, and journey that I went through. That would be, uh, that, would, that would be a mitzvah uh, to be able to contribute. Right on. Well, I believe, and I, I do genuinely believe this, you know, your journey is your own. So what you want to share with our group is awesome, but that's going to be, that's going to be for you to decide. So, you know, I think maybe a, a good place to kind of to start into it is, is why is this interesting to you? And why is this a topic that is you up at night? Yeah. Well, you know what, why don't we, um, why don't I start? Yeah, well, I, was, I mean, why don't I start with kind of the, the what happened? Because uh, I think it's important context for why it's uh, why it's important. Um, you know, I have I have this uh, I, have, I have a family situation that I'll say is as weird and wonderful as my career. Um, uh, you know, I have I have two daughters, and uh, my younger daughter is is sixteen. And I lost my older daughter, Elle, uh, when she was that. Oh, um, Jason, yeah. I, Jason I think we, knew that it, we hit a bit of a snag. You lost your, I'm sorry, that was a horrible place to, to hit a snag. 
But um, if you just like, <laughs> sure. you know what, she's really listening in, like, oh, you're talking about me. Let me get close to the controls. Uh, <laughs> I lost my older daughter uh, when she was 16 in uh, in 20 in 2018, three years ago. Um, uh, I lost Al uh, after a uh, a three-year, give or take, battle with a a disease called complex regional pain syndrome. Uh, it's CRPS, some know it as RSD, uh, but it's it's basically nerve pain, and it's always on. Uh, people who are afflicted by it liken it to having uh, their their blood replaced with lighter fluid and then set on fire. Uh, it's horribly, horribly painful. Uh, Elle had multiple surgeries. She had a spinal cord stimulator implanted to try and uh, numb the pain that was in both of her legs. Uh, she had, as you can imagine, with anything that intense, there's comorbidities, and so uh, all kinds of stuff happening. And um, uh, you know, and it was it was uh, it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. And it it happened while I was uh, I was building a business. Uh, I had a marriage that was ending. Uh, so you can you can imagine just how much kind of built up in that year, and so uh, you know when, when she in, actually not that year the years that preceded it. Uh, so in 2018 on July 22nd, uh, Al died of suicide. Um, I was out of town. I was traveling with um, with Lisa Cervenka, who uh, is my significant other, and some folks in the community know her, and she's been wonderfully. Uh, supportive, uh, and you know, and I got the call, and I got the call from from my other daughter, who let me know there was a problem. And so we we landed at our destination, we turned around, we came home, and um, you know, and and I learned, you know, that Al had died. Uh, and with that, I mean, it, it, it's like, it's crazy, right? I'm, I'm literally I'm in the middle of a negotiation, um, right? And I got to call the people I'm negotiating with and say, uh, by the way, here's what's going on. I mean, so the, 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 the mundane aspects of life that you just wish would leave you alone for five minutes don't, and, and that's all encompassing. And, but what was remarkable and, uh, and the reason why it's so important uh, is that sense of finality when you lose somebody, it's just done. You know, there is no, I'll see you tomorrow. There is no, this sucks, but maybe a, a, a new opportunity will present itself tomorrow, or maybe there'll be a new treatment, or maybe there's a different doctor, or maybe, maybe, maybe there's a miracle. There is literally, there's no hope for tomorrow. It's just done. Everything that can be said has been said. Anything that has not been said is not said. And uh, it, it's like stepping off of a, of a moving walkway where you just, uh, except you, you like fall into this abyss, right? Right. And um, it, it was, uh, there's, a, there's a lot that happened, and I know we'll, we'll kind of talk about uh, a lot of this, but the, the journey, um, the journey was fairly, um, isolating at times. It took me some time to get used to it. And interestingly, I found um, very few of my colleagues knew how to deal with me either. So 
um, one of the things that I'm that I'm hoping to talk about and share is just, you know, kind of what what I went through, what was that like, and you know, and for those maybe who aren't dealing with it directly, like how do you support somebody who's going through grief, and um, you know, what are good things to say, what are bad things to say, what do they need, um, and how do you how do you be there when uh, when you know it's brutal and when it's when it's something that you really don't want to stick your nose in or spend too much time contemplating because you know you, you really don't want to imagine that pain you, it's hard to empathize with somebody when what they're experiencing is nothing you want to experience right you know? and so well, you know and that's that's why it's important i think there's a way to thread that needle and, and i think it's important to talk about well i agree with you i mean and i have to say like <laughs> I am I'm so super awkward with Greek personally. Like when you when you were talking about this, like I think it's important. I think it's, it's beautiful and wonderful and scary all at the same time, right? The idea of like, hey, let me help other people. Let me use the pain that I've gone through to help other people with not just alleviating their own pain, but how to help alleviate pain and and empathize with others is a beautiful thing, right? Um, well, it's, so it's I, selfish I, too, right? It, it gives me it gives me the ability to put voice to things that and sometimes they're hard for me to put voice to them too. So you know, it's it's not entirely altruistic. I gotta say, it, talking about it helps me make sense of it as well. No, that's totally fair. I mean, there's and there's very little in life that I think is completely altruistic. But um, but that being said, like I know for myself when we were thinking about this, I'm like yeah, I am so awkward with grief. And I always have been, right? And I'm not, I know I'm not alone with that. Most of us are awkward with grief. But, um, yeah. but for years, I would duck out on funerals and send flowers or plants because I thought, oh, this is actually making it easier on the other people because I'm so awkward with this. I don't, I don't want to say or do the wrong thing. And I look back on that now and go, God, I was so immature. <laughs> I probably just needed someone to be like, I'm here and I have no idea what to say, but I care. You know, so. <laughs> yep. You know what? I, so I, I don't judge. Um, uh, and there's people probably who know me who are like, what? Did he really? I mean, about this. I don't, <laughs> I know how awful this is. Um, I mean, look, and, and of, of all the kinds of grief, I mean, let's just, let's put it on the table. I lost a child, you know, it, that's, that's a particular kind of brutal, right? There is, there's literally no word uh, for it. I have, uh, a, a friend and an old colleague of mine who also lost a child horribly. And he's, he came up with the term extraordinary parents to describe uh, folks who are in our situation. And, uh, you know, so folks would say to me, and, you know, oh my gosh, I can't imagine. And I would look at all of them and say, I, please don't. Just please yeah. don't. <laughs> like, don't waste one minute trying to imagine. I would much rather you go, give your kids an extra hug, Give me a kiss, be present, put your phone down on a Sunday afternoon and just text me Sunday night saying, hey, Jay, I feel so bad for you. But because of you, I spent extra time with my kids today. And that meant the world. Those, I got the range of, of, of uh, uh, expressions of sympathy. I got the cards. I got the, the letters. I got the, uh, you know, a lot of folks know uh, uh, Facebook. I'm drawing a blank on her name. Um, uh, she wrote the Plan B. She wrote the book on grief. So uh, it includes the line like, "Ask people how are you today." Um, I got a lot of that. Um, 
and it was all okay. I, I, I know folks struggle with this. And I had, you know, one of my closest friends couldn't deal. I saw him the day of the memorial, and then I hadn't talked to him for three months. And, you know, there were folks around me who were like, you know, wow, like he went AWOL. I'm like, guys, he'll be back. He just, he can't deal. This is really personal. He's still on a journey from somebody who he lost, who was close to him. It's okay. He's got to do his thing. I got to do mine. Uh, but I will say the absolute best responses that I would get were the people who told me that somehow, some way, they found a way to catalyze my tragedy into something beautiful, into a, a moment of joy, a moment of love, a moment of presence in their life, a decision to make a change so that they could be more present with the people they love. It may sound totally backwards, but knowing that people were able to find joy, it, it helps me. It, it helped me uh, on a number of levels, and just those were the best responses. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, A, that's good to know, and B, it makes a lot of sense because it allows you to get something out of, well, from what you described, was just a net loss, right? There's, there's, there's no making it better, and you can't, you can't change any of that. So this, this would allow you to get something out of that, I would think. Maybe? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right, yes. I think so, question mark, right? Uh, it's taken me. So it's taken me a few years. So some, there were some amazing things that happened uh, in, in the aftermath of Al. Uh, of Al Dock. Literally every time I go to say her name, something happens. I'm noticing this. She is definitely listening. That is. <laughs> I went out to mute. There's a phone ringing. Like something is going on. She's paying attention. She knows her name is coming up, and uh, she's she's dialing. What's he going to say? Um, Al, I love you. Hang back just like two extra feet. Your your energy is screwing up the, uh, the electronics here. Um, so so there were a few a few really really beautiful things. One is um, I went into shock, and shock is a phenomenal, fantastic thing when you are in that much pain. No question. And in the in the few days um, after she died, uh, while I was in shock. I, you know, I would just puddle on the floor, as you can imagine, different spots of the floor. I would walk them with my tears. And, um, and I had this moment where everything just went away. All the pain went away. And uh, I just, I, I almost started laughing because here was this girl, my firstborn child, who with her birth introduced me to fatherhood and, and introduced me to a level of joy that I had never known was possible. And with her death, extended my capacity for grief way beyond what I thought was possible. And on some level, how do you just not appreciate somebody who lets you experience that much more of your life? Yeah. And it was such a beautiful moment, and it lasted, you know, a moment. <laughs> yeah, and then days later, the shock wears off, and I, and I walk around for literally years, you know, it's kind of like secretly wishing that I could have my old small, little, quiet, uh, small life back. Um, but, you know, it's taken me two, three years to really, uh, really embrace that moment. But, but I was blessed that I, I had it. And, and so during my, my grief journey, uh, that was something I was able to reach for. I was, I was open, as, as miserable as I was in those first couple of days, I took advantage of the shock and I didn't push thoughts away. And I didn't push the happy thoughts away, and that one hit, and it stuck, and it kind of became my true north as I've been 
going through this. Um, and, so, and that was just one. That was like my inside-out, beautiful, lucky moment. The, um, the other one was an outside-in moment. Um, I had, uh, you know, we have this wonderful network, uh, many of whom are probably listening right now. And uh, I'll die in July. My birthday is in August. A handful of friends put together a a day of tribute for Al on my birthday and encouraged people Mm -hmm. to make donations to uh, a couple of charities, the Human Rights Campaign uh, among them, uh, you know, in Al's name, in Al's honor. And it was, I didn't do a thing. I didn't send a single tweet. I uh, I didn't promote it. I just watched this thing happen. And it was fantastic. Um, and it, it just, it was, it was really nice to be thought of. And what, what I felt lucky about was uh, that was a legacy. Uh, the Human Rights Campaign flew a flag in El's honor. Uh, I now have that flag. It's framed. It's behind my desk. Uh, the, um, the CRPS organization, Burning Limb, uh, they they raised so much money they were able to um, uh, put a fund together in Elle's name that helps girls her age get treatment every year, uh, and um, you know and it's and that's that's funded. That's uh, uh, you know it's not huge, but it's it's an endowment. It, it, these are these are legacies. You know, so you know along with that that moment that I had, these are anchor points that I've been able to hold on to. Um, and like I said, it's taken me three years, but uh, my journey has really been moving from, uh, you know, holding on to that pain, which is mine alone, into Elle's legacy, which I can share. And so those moments uh, uh, really helped me set the stage. And, and I think it's why the best uh, responses for me, for my grief, were ones where people were kind of reaching out and saying, hey, I'm spending extra time with loved ones where, you know, Anything related to a legacy that was turning pain into joy, uh, that's just, that has been my journey. And uh, I'm still on it, but I was very lucky early on to have those, um, those two things happen and provide anchor points uh, that I could sort of orient myself with and then stay focused on as I've gone down this path. Yeah, I, it's... <laughs> From a from an outsider's perspective, it's and and I think to some extent, right? Like when we're not in the grief personally, we are outside of it, right? We can we can share in it, maybe I don't know. Um, but but from my perspective, someone who cares about you and about um, Lise and and your kids, you know, I I don't know if you remember this. I don't know any reason why you would. But when um, I first after I first met you and before I came to work for you. Uh, my daughters and I would actually watch your YouTube channel with your girls um, who would be guests now and again. And, um, and yeah. if I remember correctly, Elle kind of spun off and did her own things on YouTube that, that helped one of my daughters um, quite a bit because, you know, she, um, I guess she just connected with her in a way. Um, you know, so it was, it was interesting to watch my girls connect with, with you and your girls through social and I thought that was so neat or you know YouTube put that and I thought that was so neat mm-hmm. and so when um when your daughter died and I told my girls about it uh you know my younger daughter was kind of in a point, place where she was like 
I don't really remember them as much, but my elder daughter mm-hmm. did, and uh, and my parents did, and so when um, it was a little bit, you know, it was a little bit shocking for us as well in a different way, right? And it's like um, looking through a glass that's not quite clear, right? Because it's it's not we didn't have the same relationship, yeah. but there, there was a connection there. And then it's, it, you're right. It's just like, it's just, it's gone. And, and, um, and so when the, uh, the tribute for Al uh, was organized, it, it came up around the time that we were doing a conference with GSMI. And so it was, it was nice that uh, GSMI actually wanted to help Burning Limb. And so to help you, like, let's be real, they wanted to help you, but that was the outlet through which we could do it. And so we had an auction, um, and it was so wonderful to see all of the different HR tech vendors, and like my mom did artwork, other people donated things, like all of the donations that came in, but then also all of the people who donated it, not because they cared necessarily about getting a year's worth of video or whatever it was, but Mm -hmm. it was a way to support you. It was a way that people could come together and support you, right? And so when I look at you know, and, and that was, that was a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to cry, but, but but that was a lot through all of it. Right. And, and it was nice. Beautiful. Sorry. Yeah, it was, it was, it was beautiful. Um, And look, I was in so much shock. I, my entire life, I have prided myself on my thank you notes. I mean, going back to my environment, everybody hates writing thank you notes, and I loved it. I, I never wrote, I never wrote thank you notes um, for the memorial. I never wrote thank you notes. Like, I, I owe so many people thank yous. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I literally, and, and, and there were offers made to actually do the writing for me, and I, and I, I didn't take those because I, at the time, I'm like, no, 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 I, I got this. Um, it was so overwhelming. I mean, between the loss itself and how shocking that is, and then the the support of the community, um, it was fantastic. It was absolutely fantastic. And you know, it in the aftermath of losing out, I saw the best. And, and look, I'm an optimist, so I, I saw the I saw the I saw the worst too of, of what social media has mm-hmm. um and you know and, and i can't claim that i handled things um well i mean i went i went quiet and, and i don't know that that was the right thing to do but um you know that that tribute was one of the best like that is that is social media at its absolute best and mm-hmm. um and that kept me going right it, it, like most things you know you get the uh, like any life event you know there's a rush and then there's the quiet period that follows. And, yeah. uh, and having that gave me uh, a very long tail to, um, to rely on, which was, which was fantastic. And, and so I, I, I do uh, thank you for oh. <laughs> you, know, you and everybody listening who was a part of that. It made such a difference. Um, and you know, I, I, and I know. Look, Elle made it easy because she she was a character, and she did have uh, very specific likes and and causes. Uh, she was a social justice warrior. She had a, a specific disease. Uh, but you know, I mean, it it would be it would be disingenuous for me to say that those were the only things that mattered. I definitely got cards from people who have their own charities who said, 
donation has been made in Elk name to this program that I believe in. And that's all of that stuff. Anything that helps her legacy live on uh, was just so helpful. And the sum total of it was, um, uh, it, it, it means something. Uh, any one person, you're, you're like, well, you know, what's one envelope more or less? Um, a lot. It's a ton, actually. Uh, you know, when we get those cards from the from the charity saying, you know, a donation of 50 bucks was made in the name of Anonymous, that matters. Even that matters. The emails, you know, hey, thinking of you, every little drop makes a difference and, uh, and helps build up the, the reserves for that. Yeah, long <laughs> period of quiet that we all know is going to is going to come. Yeah, well, and and my point of saying that was not to get to thank you, though. Obviously, you are welcome. The um, it was really just like that that provided agency. Um, it provided usefulness. It provided a way that that we were all able to show you that we cared without yeah. being intrusive, right? And so it it made me think about. Like, what is our responsibility, both, you know, your responsibility to yourself as someone who is grieving, and then our responsibility to the people that we know, whatever level, like, obviously, we care about you, but there are people that grieve that we probably don't like. I know there have been people that I know who have grieved that I didn't like. So what is our responsibility to the spectrum of the world that's around us when they're grieving? How can we make a difference? And we've talked about some things, right, like, the things that were organized and the cards that came and whatnot. But we encounter people all the time um, in, in levels in between those areas. You know what I mean? Like where there's not something yeah. that's being organized and there's, we've passed the point of giving cards. What do we do? You know, how do, what's our responsibility yeah. to each other? Um, yeah. Well, you asked two, two questions. You asked like, what's the responsibility to yourself too. And, um, uh, you know, if you, and if it's okay, I'd like to start on that one. Yeah, uh, of course. You, hey, there's no wrong answer. Uh, just, you get to run this. <laughs> <laughs> can I? I'd like to take uh, the first question for 200, Crystal. Um, right on. The, you know, I, I think. All right, so I'm gonna here's here's my judginess coming out, and and this, um, uh, I'm look, I don't think I'm strange in that I'm probably harder on myself than anybody else, but I always felt like I had a responsibility to get better. My responsibility was to heal. My responsibility was to heal quickly um, and complete. Let it let it be. Don't push it, but don't dawdle. Don't 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 spend one minute more than I have to in this awful place, because um, you know I, we, between Lisa and myself, we've got we've got four children who are with us, and we have a child who is not. Um, you know, or, or who I should say is always with us, you know, yeah. um, but, you know, what, how do I serve, uh, how do I serve the other people in my life by being, uh, you know, by throwing my life away, you know, and, and when you, when you have this tragic loss, there is this, this intense desire to throw yourself into the abyss, you know, like this person meant so much to me. I know how I can show the world how much this person meant to me. I can show that I can't go on without them. And, you know, and, and look, everybody's journey, like, I can't judge that. Like, if that's part, and it was part of my journey, too. Like, it, I spent time there. I just felt like I had a responsibility not to spend any more time there than I had to. Yeah. And, um, 
So, you know, so for me, so I, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to say because I, I believe that, and yet I wouldn't impose that on anybody. I, I would just say, look, if you find yourself in this horrible situation, there's no law that says you have to stay in a place of, uh, actually, I think the quote is pain is uh, uh, something like uh, pain is obligatory, suffering is optional. Right. And that's really what it came down to. Like, I knew I'm going to carry this pain for my entire life. Why do I have to suffer? <laughs> you know, like, you know, I'm allowed to be in pain and laugh. I'm allowed to be in pain but have a bittersweet day instead of just a bitter day. So I felt the responsibility to go, to go find that. And, and the reason that I mentioned that is because uh, it helped me do something else. If you're in grief, uh, understand we as a culture suck at handling grief. People are doing their best. And so there were a lot of folks who came to me uh, awkwardly and not awkward like you described it earlier uh, in this conversation. That actually, I didn't, that's not awkward at all. Like, I got awkward coming my way. Um, you know, I've, I've had people break down in tears where I'm consoling them. Um, I've had, like you just, you, you, if you can imagine it, I had it. Uh, work conversations where, you know, people who I worked most closely with the only time they would ever ask if I was okay would be at the top of a call before finding out, you know, just a gut check. Like, are you ready for the agenda? Hey, you okay? Yeah. All right. Can we get to work? Like literally over the course of a year, that's it. They couldn't, couldn't do more than that. And um, I think it helped my healing to be moving through uh, grief as quickly as I could because it let me see the, the good in what others were doing. And it let me see, hey, like, people are trying. And even if it falls apart, like, who cares? Like, they're reaching out, right? Like, you know, this must have been, like, you know, the, I'm thinking of one person who literally fell apart, uh, met for coffee, and, and they fell apart in front of me, and I was consoling them. And all I could think of was how long did they uh, sit in pain over whether or not to send this email to me to invite me to coffee or the text, right? Like, that must have been brutal. And so it just by making sure I was on that journey, it let me see other people's journeys and not judge them and not turn them away and just say, oh, okay, we are where we are. Thank you for showing up the best you can. I'm doing the best I can. Let's do this together. Uh, and, and so somewhere in there, uh, maybe to the extent I do, maybe more, maybe less, but I think just having that idea in your head that you don't have to sit in suffering, I think the person who's going through it uh, it helps. I, I won't go as far to say that that's the responsibility, but I'll say that helps. Uh, and for others, we're surrounded by people who are in grief. Reach out. Step into the awkwardness. You don't have to know what to say. It really doesn't matter. We're already upset. Right? Like, you know, um, the um, act is helpful. Um, you know, there. More than once, because Al and I had been uh, public, you know, via YouTube and, and some other things that we did, uh, you know, I had some things sent to me that were sent really with good intentions, and they just happened to land at a moment where I really couldn't deal with it. And, um, you know, and, and so it's like, you know, hey, remember that time when? And you're like, oh, God, uh, thanks. <laughs> Excuse me. I take one of these, you know, be a puddle on the floor uh, minutes for myself. Now, uh, there's no way to know that. And, you know, and there's no rule for should you or shouldn't you. If the moment strikes, yes, you should. And if it goes sideways, apologize for it and then don't do it again, you know. <laughs> um, 
so I feel like, you know, the responsibility is show up. Uh, I still get, it's been three years. I still get notes from people saying, uh, I'm really sorry I wasn't there. I didn't know what to say. And you know what, Crystal? That's fine. I'm, I'm thrilled. Like, it's prodigal son stuff. Great. Show up. I'm sorry that you couldn't be there uh, for me either. You must have some real stuff going on, and I'm glad you weren't. I'm glad you took care of you. This is really triggering stuff, and if you, if you didn't think that you could do it, I'm glad you took care of you, and I'm glad you're here for me now. Great. Um, so show up when you can, show up how you can, and just know that there's a high likelihood that whatever you do, you're going to get it wrong. Um, and so be gentle, pay attention, and if you're going to show up twice, make sure that you don't make the same mistake the second time you do. I think that's really fantastic advice. Um, you know, I haven't, for, for my end, I haven't, I obviously I haven't had anything that's, that's near uh, what you've experienced, and I'm not going to pretend to have. Um, but I think I've been fortunate in my life that a lot of the grief that I've dealt with has been tangential, like grief in others. And I don't know how fortunate, like that's a bad choice of words, but hopefully you know what I mean. But, um, but I was on location when I found out that my grandmother died. And um, it was uh, like, it, it wasn't unexpected. She had a, a form, I forget the name of the disease at Huntington's, no, I don't know. But it, was, it, it mirrors Parkinson's symptoms. Um, and so she went from being a very, very vibrant family-oriented person to like with the time that she passed, like kind of a shell. And, and that was really difficult for, I mean, all of us, especially her children, especially my father, who was her first child, right, to, to watch that shift. But, um, but so it's not that we didn't know that it was coming. We did. But mm-hmm. you, you mentioned the finality around it, right? And so, you know, like we had so many things going on in my life that I didn't get to go see her um, really at all the last year that she was alive. And, and I don't know how much of a difference it would have made to, to her candidly because we couldn't have a conversation. She couldn't focus in on anything. She couldn't speak. Maybe it would have made a difference. Maybe it wouldn't have. I don't know how aware she was, whether we were there at all. But but there were a lot of things that I would have liked to have been able to, to let her know that I appreciated, right? And, and she would have cared. It's selfish. Yeah. It's very selfish, like as I say, right? But I would have liked to have been able to see her. And I just I kept thinking there'll be more time. And then all of a sudden you realize there's no more time. And there will never be more time. Yeah. And that hit like almost instantaneously when I found out. And, and so I was in the middle of, of interviewing someone for a, a commercial for one of our clients. And I, I saw the text message come in and I just like couldn't do it. <laughs> I, just couldn't. I was like, I'm so sorry. I know we have a film career and this is not fair, but I need like just, just five minutes <laughs> just to just, yeah. just cross that. Yeah. That's an, that's a thing, right? It's a, it's, it's a thing. So I'm, and I'm so sorry. And it, it's, no, um, uh, but yet, like, you really don't know how it's going to affect you. Um, you know, I will say, I, I, in the um, in, in the ensuing years, I, I've picked up a couple of pieces that that I can share that I think can make it a little bit easier. You know, when when you see somebody going through that and you're on the receiving end, it's like, okay, what what do I say in this situation? How do I handle it? 
Um, this is going to sound awful, but I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Oh, um, pretend the dog died. Pretend that the news you just heard was that the dog died. Uh, and, uh, and let me explain. Uh, in the last five years, I've, I've lost my daughter. I put a dog down. Uh, I got divorced. Uh, I had a, I, you know, and before dying, I was uh, diagnosed with horrific disease. Nobody knows what to do with, with grief. Right? That's why we're talking. Nobody knows what to do with long-term health issues. Those are brutal. Um, mm-hmm. Nobody knows what to do with a divorce. And, um, but you know what the one everyone got right was? When I lost my dog, it was the right amount of sympathy. It was relating without hijacking. Like, I learned a lot about other people's dogs, but I never felt like they were trying to take the spotlight off of what I was going through. It was right. the right amount of time. It was a natural transition back to a conversation. It was, you know, it, 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 the feel of it always flowed well. And, and I, I remember like, that that's the thing that happened first. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, it, it, didn't, it didn't strike me at the time. I was just like, oh, my gosh, like, what a universal experience. Everyone kind of gets it. And then, uh, right, and then we got to the big leagues, and I lost my daughter. And, like, <laughs> the same people, like, what do I do? Um, you know, I got to get through my day too. Uh, like, you know, you, and you're talking like you get this news, you're in shock. Uh, it, a great thing to do is take control of the situation. You know, provide the comfort, give the person permission to do what they've got to do, compose themselves, reschedule whatever needs to be done. And you know, and we know that life goes on. We we, we lose the brain capacity for it, but life happens. So. You know, understanding that, hey, you're having a moment. Life's going on. You know what I can do? I can pick up some of these pieces here. I can see you. I can bear witness for a minute. I can give you the space you need to go through what you're going through. I can do a little check-in. And then I can take stock of the room and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go find somebody. Let me see if we, can, if we can bleed over five minutes on the other side. Or, you know, do I know the person? Um, you know, is there somebody I can talk to and have them email your next call? and let them know you're going to be running late. Um, you know, little things like that that you would do if it was smaller news, no problem. We just we forget when it's big news. Just do them anyway. Just take control of the situation, run it through. Uh, that's a, that, you know, in the immediate moments, like those were the things, uh, boy, those helped, and they never stopped helping. Um, you know, even even after that first, you know, week when I was in, in shock, like even when I was back at work, uh, random text, like set a note for yourself to check in with people two weeks, two months after. And the text doesn't have to be anything other than uh, just, hey, thinking of you, checking in. Uh, let me know if you need anything. That's all it takes. Um, but, you know, just taking control. And um, and not letting yourself get sucked into that emotional vortex, but you know, see the person, bear witness, uh, but kind of put a governor on it. Like, okay, I pretend like I just heard the dog died. How would I respond? Like, that's the until you're invited in deeper. That's a great level of emotion. I, in my experience, that was a great level of emotion to reach. Um, people can give me a hug, bear witness, and say, all right, this is awful let me look at what's going on here. Let me take care of something for you. And then, 
you know, could maintain composure and, and provide me some stability in those moments. That was, that was those were, um, uh, those stand out as, as folks in moments that were particularly helpful. That, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of right? great. But it boils, down, it boils down to like really simply pretend the dog died. And I feel so, I mean, like, Al, if you're listening, I hope you're laughing. I know you have such a sick sense of humor. I don't, like, the analogy does not extend between, like, people and, that's not at all what I'm saying. I'm just, right, like, if you heard somebody's dog died, you wouldn't get sucked into the emotional vortex where you, you know, you'd end up standing going eye to eye going, okay, I don't know what to do. Do you know what to do? I don't know what to do either. If you heard that somebody just lost their pet, you you'd be like, okay, you're having a moment that sucks, but y- you yourself wouldn't be sucked into that emotional vortex. And so, it's kind of I found it was kind of a nice way to cheat and stay anchored, <laughs> right? When dealing with other people who are going through, uh, and and you know what, Chris, you're probably going to get all kinds of love notes over that comment by me, but whatever, that's my experience. Well, I'm not the one that reads them, so that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's all good. I mean, look, here's the thing. There's no right way, and I I did a little bit of reading up on this. Like, not that I'm by any means the expert in grief. I am definitely not. But I did a little bit of reading up on this to kind of see, like, what are the things that we should as a show recommend to people, et cetera. And, And really, the thing that landed with me was just this random blog um it's healgrief.org and one of the things that they Mm -hmm. talked about was like the individuality of grief right and and how it is really different from person to person and there's no wrong way to grieve and therefore there's there's no i mean there's probably more or less best practices around grief right like don't show up to work drunk that's not a good way to grieve like, um, but yeah. for those things, right? But, but aside from practical advice like that, there's not the way that we process grief, the timing of it, the what we can handle and what we can't and how we make sense of it. That's all very individual. And so I think what I got out of that is like, it's not our place. We talk about the responsibility of, of those um, around us. It's not the responsibility of the people surrounding someone dealing with grief to judge how they grieve. If it's not for you, yeah. and you don't like the way it was done, move on. No, <laughs> I, I, right. But that's what I mean. That's, it's kind of where I'm going with pretend the dog died, right? It's, it's when you, when you, when you allow yourself to follow somebody deeply into that emotional journey, then that's when you armchair quarterback it. You're like, Oh, well, if I felt this way, if I were going through that, I would do this and that. But when you're able to maintain that distance and go, okay, you're having a horrible day. I see it. I see your horrible day. I'm not having a horrible day. <laughs> like your horrible day is an inconvenience to me. Or if I care about you, it, it's a bad day for me. But you, like you're, when you maintain that distance, then you don't fall into the trap of judging as much. And you're like, okay, you do you. <laughs> you take care of you. I'm going to look around and take care of some of the other stuff and make space for you. Right. And, and that's the, that's the difference. Um, so I, I agree with that. I, I gotta say, I also think, I wonder if 10 years from now, grief will be as individual as it is today. Um, and I say that because uh, I have wondered if uh, my, my journey through grief has been so unique because there are so few resources 
to uh, help guide us. Uh, yeah. You know, and it, it's, you know, I say that, and, and again, like, I, I'm like at a meta level, kind of hearing myself say these things, imagining people going, uh, uh, we have religion and we have support groups and we have all this stuff. Yes, we do. But at the end of the day, we have the people around us, you know, and it's, it's context that, that gives meaning to these things. Um, you know, it, it, I'm Jewish. Um, the prayer for the, that you say when you lose somebody in Judaism does not mention death. It's, it's all about, it's life affirming. Uh, right. It's not surprising to me that my journey through grief was to reach for joy and to try and move through it as quickly as possible. Of course, like I, I'm, on some, some level that was shaped years and years ago, growing up in religion that, that treats grief that way. No question. But when I got, when it became time to do it, like how do I actually put that into practice? What does that look like? How much time is it's too much to be, you know, in the fetal position and, and when am I ready to get back to work? And I don't know, I had no guidance on that at all. Um, you know, I had, I had the people around me. I, was, I shouldn't say I had no guidance. I had no institutional guidance. I was very lucky to have individuals around me mm-hmm. who had been down this path, um, Lisa first amongst them, you know, who had, you know, unfortunately dealt with, uh, you know, intense grief and complicated grief and things that we can be like, okay, you know, we can, we can kind of see your future. Here's what to expect. Um, and did it in a way that gave me enough space to process it myself. But you know, not everybody has that. And, um, you know, and so maybe, you know, we get more folks sharing stories like this. Yeah, we're all individual, but maybe we're individual like snowflakes. And from a few feet away, we're actually not so dissimilar. <laughs> we can find some universal truths um, that uh, that can create you know a guide path for us. Yeah, I I tend to think that that's probably where we land, and and, and I don't know, you know, my first experience with death was my grandmother, uh, my other grandmother, was my grandmother, my other grandmother, um, who raised me for a few years before I was adopted, and and um, and love her to pieces. Very complicated woman, but um, but again, knew she was dying. She had cancer. And I went to the library at, I think I was eight, maybe seven, and, um, and asked, like, you know, is there, are there books? Like, are there books that explain this? And the librarian was like, oh, you don't want to read something like that. And I'm like, I think I'm going to need to, though. <laughs> you know? so yeah, right, yeah. Right. So the night before my grandma died, I actually had brought home a book on how to manage death. And, um, oh, wow. You know, call it whatever you will. My my mother talks about it for years and years, but it wasn't anything really all that ESP, you know, ESP-ish. Like she had cancer, she was going to die. We knew that was going to happen. And so, from a practical standpoint, my grandmother, who taught me to read, you know, it made sense mm-hmm. for me to grab a book and try to figure it out. And I can't say I figured anything out, right? It just it was one of those things that. I I got up the next morning and my mom was crying at the table and she was like, yeah, you know, your grandma died. And I was like, oh, well, let me go get my book. (laughs) Right. I got a book for that. So, so, um, and I was very disappointed that that book did not solve all my problems. But, um, but from the standpoint of like, there should be resources, I think where we've fallen short, my, in my opinion, and I'm not, again, not done deep dives. I'm sure I'll get, the directory will get notes around this, but is that everything that I know about 
the support that we have for death is based around groups and associations and events that you have to go to and people you have to connect with. And there is this, this space where you're just not ready for that. And maybe you need it, but you're not, you're not fully ready for it. And so I, I'm hoping that there is more literature that, um, that we can turn to and that there are more uh, workflows. That sounds real weird to say, but, you know, I'm a big believer in workflows that they kind of keep things moving and, and harmonious. Oh, and... Yeah. Look, there's a, there's um, uh, well, we certainly need them at work for sure. Uh, you know, we spend an inordinate amount of time there. We spend a tremendous amount of brain space with work. Support's got to come from the people we work with. We have, we do have an obligation to look after our colleagues and, that's not something that you can look up uh, to leadership for, you know, in an organization for it's, it's just too new. It doesn't exist yet. Um, yeah. I was with, you know, a, one of the best places to work in the world and handling grief is a blind spot for them. Right. It's just, it's brand new. So we have to take care of each other and, and the idea of workflows for that definitely helps. Uh, meal trains are not going to get us home. <laughs> you know, they're great, but like we need, we need some more stuff than that. We need the, you know, you know, you got 20 people on a team, great. Put yourselves on a rotation so that once a week, one person's checking in. Every week, somebody's checking in. Um, you know, like a nurse doing the rounds at a hospital. Just check in, check in, check in. Keep people, you know, from from getting too far in their heads, um, you know, or let them get in their heads, but at least give them, you know, it, the worst, Crystal, is wanting to get out of that dark place and not being able to. You know, there's this moment, and it's depressing, right? It's like the world has been, uh, it's just out of reach. Like somebody's inserted a scrim between you and the world. And so you see everything, you just, you literally can't access it. You, you need somebody to kind of like reach down from above the scrim and lift you out and pull you to the other side and like pop it like a bubble. So, you know, when you say workflow, I think, boy, that would be fantastic, right? Just regular weekly check-ins, how you doing? So that somebody who's maybe sitting in that depressive state who doesn't want to be but doesn't know how to reach out to their colleagues, they're the ones going through it. You're having an okay day. You take responsibility. Work with the team. Reach out. And, and you know, and there's no – that's not hard to do. I mean, that's a that's – a, geez, that's a Google meeting, you know. Um, yeah. Well, that, I think that's, that's an easy one. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a good place to press pause because we do have the benefit of having you really for the week. So, so buckle up, Jason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I know. So, I feel like we're just getting going. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's good. But but tomorrow, like, we're getting into what we're going to be talking about tomorrow. So on Wednesday, for everybody listening or who may catch this in the downplay, the next episode is going to be talking about how do we make it safe for the people that are grieving, the walking women, to to be able to both grieve and stumble through functioning, right? Because we're functioning at an impaired level with, with trauma, right? And this is a trauma event in our lives. And I think given the pandemic, this is a really important topic. So the show link isn't quite live yet. You'll see it up this afternoon, um, but it will be there and we'll put it out on all of our channels and we'll make sure we tag Jason. So join us tomorrow. Jason, is there anything in the one minute ish that you would like to say on just understanding grief before we go. Oh, thank you for trying. <laughs> if you're listening to this show, thank you. It's, it, it, it's, it's going to take a village. And 
of anybody who's listening this far, I'm just appreciative, um, and uh, I, I hope it helps. I think that's fantastic. So on that note, everyone, we will talk to you tomorrow. I know this has been helpful for me, Jason. I hope it's been helpful and somewhat cathartic for you. And um, I know it's been cathartic for me. So, <laughs> so at least it's helped two people. Yay. Um, and for everyone else, <laughs> we will see you tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening to Drive Through HR. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.